today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. If you believe that when perfection comes is a reference to the completion of the Bible, well, then you would have to say that the gifts have ceased. But if you believe, as I do, that the context proves, in fact, that when perfection comes is a reference to our perfected state in the presence of the Lord, either when He returns for us or when we die to go to be with Him, then that means that the imperfect has not yet disappeared. And thus, the gifts of the Spirit are still available today. And they still are functional today. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. As a modern-day believer, you most likely tend to separate the modern church from the early church and the supernatural wonders that seem commonplace in Scripture. You assume that the Holy Spirit must work differently in us today than He did then. But as Pastor Gary reminds us in today's message, the very same Holy Spirit that worked back then is still actively working today. The gifts bestowed on those early Christians are available to you today when you fully surrender to the Holy Spirit. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. When you have the Spirit of God and, and everything about the Holy Spirit without the fundamentals, you have emotionalism. When you have fundamental beliefs without the Holy Spirit, you have dead orthodoxy. That's what you have on both ends of the, ex, on the extremes. You have one camp is like, I don't believe in the gifts. I don't believe in any of the signs and wonders and miracles today. And so that's just dead orthodoxy. That's just absent the move and the work of the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, you have people in the camp who say it's all about the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, all the signs and wonders and, and all of that, but, but they don't necessarily sometimes pay attention to what the Bible says to be able to test and approve what those signs and wonders are, whether or not they're legitimate. Don't be deceived. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he talks about how when we get closer to the return of Christ, there will, be, there will rise false prophets who will perform counterfeit miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible, Jesus said. So there will be even false prophets in the day who will perform miraculous things. Not every miraculous, and when I say miraculous, I'm describing something that is beyond the natural, that is somewhat, that is supernatural. Not every miraculous, supernatural manifestation is divine. Some of it is demonic, and you need to know the difference. There's the divine and there's the demonic. And if you... It want only the experience of some supernatural thing, absent the foundation of the fundamentals of the word, then you're liable to just get into a bunch of emotionalism without real discernment about what is of the Lord and what is not. So we have to be wise about these things. But back to my original point, there are some in this camp over here who would say, no, there's nothing about the spirit anymore, no gifts, no signs, no wonders. 
okay, who, who, who then believe that the gifts of the Spirit ended at the end of the apostolic age. Well, the apostolic age refers to when the last of the apostles died. So when the last of the original 12, okay, minus Judas plus Paul. So when, when that whole group died, the gifts of the Spirit died with them, they would say in this, in this camp. And so therefore, these gifts of the Spirit are not available today. And they draw that conclusion from a verse here that I just want to clarify. It's verse 10 of chapter 13. And it says this, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Now, the imperfect is a reference to the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, there's only one who is perfect, and that's the Lord. So everything else about us and, and the way we function and operate, even, you know, there's enough flesh in all of us that there's imperfection in all of us. And so Paul writes here, when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. So when you look at the context, you realize that at some point, the gifts of the Spirit will cease. At some point, there will no longer be these signs and wonders and gifts of the Spirit, especially as outlined in chapter 12. But the question becomes, what does when perfection comes mean? Because if we understand what that means, then we understand when the gifts cease. Because Paul says, when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. So my friends in the camp who say, no, 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 the gifts don't exist anymore, 1 Corinthians 13, 10, when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears, the gifts have disappeared. Their explanation for verse 10 is that perfection refers to the completion of the Bible. That once we have received the completion of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it is God's revelation to us. We have, therefore, no more need for the function of the Spirit, and the gifts died out with the apostles. All right, that's their interpretation. Now, I will tell you that there are some who believe that. Uh, I don't, and I'm going to tell you the reason why, and many don't, because it's really poor exegesis to say that it refers to the completed canon of Scripture. When you look, exegesis is just a big shot word that means it's a, it's a, it's a poor dissection of what the passage means. When you look at the context, that's, that's always critical to understanding your Bibles. Look at the context. And understand the words around it so we understand the meaning of the verse. Paul goes on to talk about, in verse 11, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I fought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. In other words, when he, when he became a man, he stopped playing video games. Listen up, guys. Amen. And he says, Now we see but a poor reflection is in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Okay, he's contrasting now and then. And he goes on to say, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now it's clear in the passage what he's referring to is life now and life to come. He's talking about then. He's talking about a future hope. He's talking about being with the Lord. And that's why when he writes here, he says, you know, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. When you compare scripture with scripture, which is the best commentary in the Bible, the Bible commenting on itself. In 1 John, you know takers, write this verse down. I'll read it. 1 John 3, verse 2. In 1 John 3, 2, John writes, Dear friends, now we are children of God. Remember what Paul's doing, now and then. Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, who's that? Jesus. When Jesus appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So John right there in 1 John 3, 2, he's, he's comparing now and then. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 is comparing now and then. 
So when you compare the context, what he's talking about here is when perfection comes is when we see Jesus. And when we come into his presence and we are perfected in his presence, the saints are not perfected yet. None of us is perfected yet. Right? Look at the person next to you. There's your example. None of us is perfected yet. All right? And there will come a day when we will become, receive a glorified body and we will be perfected in his presence. No more sin, no more temptation. The old order of things has passed away. Our bodies replaced with a glorified body. We're in his presence. And then when we are in his presence, when is it that we shall know fully even as we are fully known? Then. When we are with the Lord. We don't know anything and everything yet. We don't know fully now. We know in part now. But then we shall know fully even as we are fully known. So in the context of 1 Corinthians thirteen ten, if you believe that when perfection comes is a reference to the completion of the Bible, well, then you would have to say that the gifts have ceased. But if you believe, as I do, that the context proves, in fact, that when perfection comes is a reference to our perfected state in the presence of the Lord, either when He returns for us or when we die to go to be with Him, then that means that the imperfect has not yet disappeared. And thus, the gifts of the Spirit are still available today. And they still are functional today. The third evidence that I want to point out here from chapter 13 is that it is evidence for whether love is operating in our lives. What do I mean? If you really want to know how you're doing in terms of operating in this agape love, I want you to insert your name between verses 4, 5, and 6, wherever the word love appears. Okay? Now, I'm going to read it, and I'll go ahead and insert my name, but don't judge me. I want you to judge yourself. I want you to look at this verse, and I want you to read it as if your name were in the place of the word love. So verse 4, Gary is patient. I'm already feeling your judgment. I'm sorry. I... <laughs> Gary is kind. Gary does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He is not rude. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Gary does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. How'd you do? There's one lady who's honest right there. Yeah, it's, it's hard when you put yourself in this passage. How patient are you? How kind are you? Do you envy other people? Do you boast a little bit? Are you proud? How about being rude? Are you self-seeking? Are you easily angered? Oh, how about this one? You keep no record of wrongs, do you? Now, when I do a wedding ceremony and I'm reading through this passage, I stop right there. And I look in the couple's eyes and I say, all right, right now, I know you two feel like you're never going to have a fight. And you guys always finish each other's sentences. And you feed each other at restaurants. It's so precious. You know, and I, I don't say all that, but I'm thinking all that, you know. 
Here's what I do say. Here's what I do say. I say, you're, you're going to get to a point in your life where you're going to hold on. You're going to keep record of wrongs. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't keep records of wrongs. Don't keep records of wrongs. Now, I don't know, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, it's not a spiritual gift. But I, I know, because I've been around you ladies long enough to know, and I married one. You guys have incredible recall. It's amazing. I don't know if any of you married couples can relate to this, but I've been in a conversation with my wife. We don't argue. It's just intense fellowship. We've had intense fellowship. And I can say something, and she can recall, you know what? This reminds me of something that you said in 1993. You were wearing a blue blazer. You had on jeans that didn't really go well with a blazer. It was 70 degrees outside. We were on our way to Chick-fil-A. I'm just, really? You remember all that? I don't know how it is that, that you ladies especially have incredible recall because we can't even remember 1992, the guys. Like, what? You're, what? Seriously? So here's the thing. Men and ladies, don't keep, don't keep record of wrongs uh, because what, what we end up doing is we... We dig out of some garbage bucket, some memory from some time ago, and we rehash it. And it doesn't help. It's not, it's not good for a relationship, it's not good in marriage, and it's not good as a follower of Christ, whether you're married or not. Because love keeps no record of wrongs. And let me tell you the thing that will help set you free from keeping a record of wrongs. You do as Jesus did, and you forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And when you understand that forgiveness is a gift that each of us have been given and none of us deserved from Jesus, then we will slowly learn how to offer that gift to other people who may have wronged us. You want to be set free from your list? Start to forgive people who have wronged you. If you've lived for very long, you will offend someone and someone will offend you. But real love keeps no record of wrongs and love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth and it always protects and always trusts and it always perseveres in john chapter 13 verses 34 and 35 jesus said to his disciples which applies to us as followers of christ he said this a new command i give you love one another by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another okay now he didn't say, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you speak in tongues, if you prophesy, if you have faith that can move mountains. He said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is the evidence that we belong to Christ. It is the evidence of the baptism of the Spirit. It's back to number one. Why is it, though, in John 13, Jesus starts that little dialogue by saying, a new command I give you, love one another. Why is that a new command? Because remember the old command? It's out of Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. The highest form of love known to man prior to the cross was self-love. And some people today are still stuck on that kind of love. Love yourself. It's all about yourself. You know, you got to love yourself before you can love other people. That's just baloney. The real and highest form of love is the love of Christ that he showed us on the cross. That's why he says in John 13, here's a new command I give you. The old command is love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that means if you have a bad day and you don't really like yourself that day, what do you get to hate your neighbor? You know, that's how that works. 
Okay, but Jesus says, a new command I give you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. Now he raises the bar. I don't, have to, I don't love my neighbor based on how much I love myself. I need to love my neighbor based on how much Jesus has loved me. And to that degree, then I will really be operating in love. Because it's not based on me. It's based on the love that Jesus has already shown me. It is a new command that we should love one another as he has loved us. And by that will all men know that we are his disciples. Into chapter 14, Paul is going to park on two of the gifts of the Spirit. One is the gift of prophecy, and one is the gift of tongues. And he's going to talk about their, the difference between these gifts and their proper function in the church. And he's also going to talk about the proper function privately, but not as much. He's going to talk about mainly how these gifts function properly within the corporate church setting. Before I actually read into the chapter, I just want to remind us real quickly of the definition of these two particular gifts, especially for those of you who may not have been here earlier for our study. So I'm not going to redefine and I'm not going to spend a lot of time. just want to mention the definitions again uh, just to refresh our memory. So the gift of prophecy is to declare or speak something under divine inspiration for the strengthening, encouragement, and comfort of people. And it may be foretelling or forthtelling. We talked about this in the study into chapter 12. It's not always about predicting something. It's also the foretelling, the expression of what God says under divine inspiration. Remember in Luke chapter 22 when Jesus was blindfolded and beaten just before he was crucified, and the ones who were beating him said to him as he's blindfolded, prophesy who hit you. So they weren't saying predict the future. They were saying, why don't you just declare who was the one that hit you, who struck you with your, with your eyes blindfolded. So it doesn't always mean predicting something. It means just declaring something under the inspiration of God. And then the gift of tongues, is, again, as we talked about, is an inspired language unknown to the person speaking for prayer and praise to God. It is, you know, somewhat of an unusual thing, right, for someone to have a particular gift where they are speaking a language that they themselves don't know. It's always unknown to the, to the speaker. But it is a known language to someone else, and if not to someone else on earth, it is an angelically spoken language. And it is for the purpose of communing and connecting with the heart of God because language can sometimes be a gift and it's also sometimes a barrier. You can't always find the right words to express yourself. And when it comes to your relationship with God, sometimes having a language that God supernaturally gives someone whereby you can praise him and pray to him, it kind of bypasses the limitation of language and you're able to express your heart to God. So again, the gift of tongues is one of those gifts that God doesn't necessarily give to everyone, but he gives as he distributes. So into chapter 14 here, he begins to list some of the differences between these two gifts, prophecy and tongues. I'm going to read the first five verses and then we'll, we'll park there for just a little bit. Verse 1, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy 
He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Again, and that last verse is very interesting how much of the church today is overemphasizing the gift of tongues. And yet right here, Paul says prophecy is even better than tongues. He said, you know, and so in terms of the church and the function of these particular gifts uh, in the church, there's a difference between the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. And so I'm going to probably go through this faster than you can even write notes. I'm just going to kind of rattle off the difference between prophecy and tongues according to what he wrote here in the first five verses. Prophecy is to be especially desired among the gifts. That's what he says there in verse one. If you're going to eagerly desire something, desire prophecy. Whereas tongues is uttering mysteries with your spirit. That's what he says. So prophecy is to be eagerly desired. Tongues is uttering mysteries with your spirit. Then he goes on to say in verse 3 that prophecy is a gift for speaking to people. And he specifically says for the purpose of strengthening, encouragement, and comfort of those people. That's how the gift of prophecy is to function properly in a corporate setting. It is a gift for speaking to people. Whereas he says the gift of tongues is a gift not for speaking to people, but to God. Notice that in verse 2, he talks about how tongues is not for speaking to people, for speaking to men. It is unto the Lord. Now, I want to draw this distinction because I've heard from people who say, and they they mean this, but they're just misguided, that the gift of tongues is a gift that God gives missionaries when they go out on the mission field into a foreign country where he supernaturally gives them a language so they can preach the gospel or connect to people of whom they don't know their language. That's not the gift of tongues. That, you know, maybe God could do that. God can do whatever he wants. But strictly speaking, that's not the gift of tongues. It's not this supernatural ability for you to go to a foreign country and start communicating with people. It's never used like that in the scriptures. It is specifically a gift not spoken to men, to people, but it is a gift where a language then is spoken to God in praise and prayer. He also tells us in verse 4, we read it a moment ago, that prophecy is a gift for edifying the church. It builds the church up. The fourth telling, the proclaiming of God's word, builds up the body of Christ. Whereas, he says, tongues is a gift for edifying yourself. That's what he says there. Because what happens is when you begin to worship the Lord or pray to him, and if you have that particular gift, again, God doesn't give it to everybody, There's a self-edifying thing that happens in the heart of a person when you connect with the heart of God through this language that he's given you. So it is self-edifying. It is the only self-edifying gift in the Bible. Now, followed with interpretation, it does help other people to join in on your thanksgiving. But absent interpretation, it is self-edifying. Then he also mentions in verse 5 that prophecy is preferred over tongues as a gift with broader benefits to the church. Because again, if people can't understand your language, how can they be benefited from what you might have to say if you demonstrate the use of the gift of tongues? And then he adds here about tongues that it is mentioned as a gift Paul wishes we all had for its personal benefit. There is personal benefit to this particular gift, uh, but God doesn't necessarily give it to everyone. We hope today's message from the book of 1 Corinthians has blessed you and drawn you closer to Jesus. Pastor Gary has more to share, but this is where we need to end for today. 
feel free to read ahead before you join us next time on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message again or explore other teachings from Pastor Gary Hamrick, just visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can even download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. If you're in the Leesburg area, you're invited to join us for our weekly gatherings at Cornerstone Chapel. Come by on Sunday or Wednesday to spend time in worship, Bible study, and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You'll be able to find service times and directions on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc or give us a call. We can be reached at 703-771-1500. And when you call, please let us know how we can be praying for you. That number again is 703-771-1500. Would you pray for us too? Please pray that we keep our eyes always on the truth of who God is and that we move forward only by His power. Thanks for praying and thanks for tuning in today. To Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know.